by the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here once the embattled farmer stood and fired the shot heard round the world. The Concord Hymn, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Or did they? It is 1824, and the Marquis de Lafayette, a dashing French hero of the American Revolution, has returned to Massachusetts to celebrate the upcoming 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. He tours the towns of Concord and Lexington, which lie about seven miles apart, and are where the armed conflict kicked off in April 1775. He has told numerous stories about the brave colonial Minutemen who fired the first shot, but there's a weird competition going on between the two towns about who fired the first shot, and Lafayette finds himself in the middle of bad blood. Fifty years later, as the centenary of the Revolutionary War loomed, President Ulysses S. Grant considered swerving the Massachusetts leg of his tour entirely to avoid giving anyone undue credit. Essentially what I'm trying to say is that, for every version of this story you hear, there are five more. Regardless of which one you buy into, if you're celebrating, happy Independence Day. This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. It is the 3rd of September, 1651, in Worcester, England. You weren't expecting that, were you? The Royalists have lost the English Civil War. King Charles II's forces, made up primarily of Scottish soldiers, have been defeated by Cromwell's new model army. Clan Monroe have sent soldiers south and many lie strewn dead on the battlefield, while thousands of their fellow soldiers have been captured by parliamentarian forces. Among them is 26-year-old William Monroe, who was born into a wealthy family descendants of the very founders of Clan Monroe, just outside Inverness. Now, along with thousands of his comrades, he finds himself on a ship headed for New England and the American colony. Most of the English prisoners from the battle were conscripted into the New Model Army and sent to Ireland, but most of the Scots were transported to New England, Bermuda and the West Indies to work as indentured servants. Charles II escaped, but that's by the by. Arriving in New England, William worked out his time on the servitude and decided to make a life in Cambridge Farms, the settlement which would go on to become the town of Lexington. He married and had four children. Then his wife passed away and he married again and had ten children. Then he married again, but that marriage didn't produce any more kids. Suffice it to say, William Monroe's line through Massachusetts history is pretty well established. His daughter Martha and her husband built a tavern on the east side of Lexington, and the family, for the most part, stayed in the area and became one of its most prominent. If you enjoy Scotland and you enjoy the shows that we make, then you might want to leave us a rating and a review. It really helps people find the show. It really helps us inflate our egos to all new levels. And honestly, it's one of the best things that you can do for us. Alternatively, if you want to help us out financially, every penny that you donate through Patreon 
goes back into the show. It gets you little extras. Um, we have early access to episodes. We have exclusive readings. At the moment, we're reading The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And pretty soon, we're going to be giving some merchandise rewards to our patrons, existing and new. So there's never a better time to get involved if you head over to patreon.com forward slash Scotland History Podcast. You can get involved for as little as $2. And we genuinely do appreciate every single dollar that we get. It really means a lot. It is 18th of April, 1775, in that same tavern, now owned by William's great-grandson, also William. It has become a well-known meeting place for colonials, and Solomon Brown has just returned from the market in Boston. He tells the assembled group that a large patrol of British soldiers are on their way. This ties in with information that the British plan to destroy a cache of American weapons down the road at Concord, weapons which have already been moved. The militia assembled on Lexington Common the next morning to meet the British as they passed through the town, with several Monroes among their number. They had no intention of fighting, merely making a statement of intent that they would defend their rights and their property from the British forces. Something changed as the British moved into the Common. Depending on whose account you believe, the British leader Major Pitcairn came forward and ordered them to disperse. Or he told them, lay down your arms, you damned rebels. You decide which one you prefer. The leader of the rebels had tuberculosis, and therefore was quite hard to hear, meaning that many of the assembled militia straight up didn't hear him. The British soldiers were supposedly given orders not to fire, but there was tension in the ranks. The Americans weren't laying down their muskets. Suddenly a shot rang out. It seemed to have come from the British ranks, but every account differs, and it could have been from anywhere. Corporal John Monroe, yes, he's related, gave this deposition following the engagement. After the first fire of the regulars, I thought, and so stated to Ebenezer Monroe, who stood next to me on the left, that they had fired nothing but powder. But on the second firing, Monroe stated that they had fired something more than powder, for he had received a wound in his arm. And now, said he, to use his own words, I'll give them the guts of my gun. We then both took aim at the main body of British troops, the smoke preventing our seeing anything but the heads of some of their horses, and discharged our pieces. And there it was, the shot heard round the world fired by Ebenezer Monroe on 19th of April 1775. It was his birthday. He was 23 years old. More than a century after his great-great-grandfather was deported to New England for defending King Charles II from the parliamentarian forces of Cromwell's Roundheads, a musket ball from a young Monroe sparked it all. You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. The music for every episode of Scotland is by the human star-spangled banner Mitch Bain. You can check out more of his work by heading to mitchbain.bequiet.media. Additional voices in this episode were by Chris Moriarty. 
Jamie Mowat does stunning illustrations for us, which you can see in our episode art. See more and buy prints at Tidlin, T-I-D-L-I-N.com. Scotland is supported by Chris Lingwood and listeners like you on Patreon. Get involved and help us out. Everything that you donate goes back into the show and we really, really appreciate every single one of you. It's patreon.com forward slash Scotland History Podcast. You can find out more about the show on our website, this is scotland.co, and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Thanks for listening. Look after one another. Happy Independence Day. We'll see you next time.